ready for um, 2 Samuel 5, 4. We are in... Yes, we are in 331 is where we left off last week. Second Samuel chapter 3 and verse 31 is where we left off last, last week. So um, I, I don't know how you guys have responded this week, but, you know, I don't, I don't think I mentioned it on Sunday, but, um, you know, New York passed a bill this week, and um, I saw a picture, and it showed New York City, downtown New York City in 1959, on Easter Sunday, and in 1959 in New York, in the same area in the high-rises and downtown Broadway, um, they, the, all the, the buildings had crosses. They decorated the downtown area with crosses in celebration of Easter in 1959. And then the picture next to it was this last week, and they took lights, much like our lights here, our LED lights we shine on our stage, and they made them all pink, and they shot pink lights throughout the city this week, to celebrate a, a full birth abortion bill that just passed. So um, there, there was a, a movie, a Christian movie, Christian-based movie that they, that was, I don't even remember, it, it made some waves just for a minute. They sent it to the pastors and the churches, and um, they were having a really hard time getting this movie um, in theaters and anybody to get behind it. They couldn't get a studio to make it originally. And um, Dean Kane, Dean Kane is the guy that plays Superman, on the, not in the movies, but in the TV show Superman. I think it's like on, I don't know where it is. I've never seen it, but I know I know who he is, and I've seen him. I think he's on the current show. Anyways, but Dean Cain is the actor in the movie. He's the detective in the movie, and it's it's the, it's called the um, is it called the Gosnell story? Kermit Gosnell was an abortion doctor who was convicted of um, three or four counts of murder. Um, in Philadelphia a couple years ago, um, 2013 maybe, and was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. And he traded his sentence. To, he was up for the death penalty, and he, um, he, he took a lesser plea in order to um, be without parole so that he would not um, get the death penalty and spend the rest of his life in prison in Philadelphia, which is not justice enough. But the case made um, national news. And I can remember when it originally was breaking in Philadelphia, um, because there was a there was a famous picture that went around in the whole courtroom, they expected this huge media buzz over this case, and they had all the rows in the court reserved for the media outlets that were supposed to be there. And for the first weeks of the trial, not a, not one media uh, representative showed up. And someone took a picture of the empty courtroom with all the signs saying, "This is what's all reserved for the media," and and that went national. It was a blogger, and it ended up making national news. This picture, and as a result. The media finally showed up and covered the second half of this case, but it was such a hot-button case because, you know, so much of the left and the, and the um, pro-choice people didn't want to set a precedence with, with the Kermit Gosnell case. And basically what he was on trial for was he was doing late-term abortions in Philadelphia. The law was up to 24 weeks, and he was doing abortions after 24 weeks, and he was giving the, the, the ladies um, certain kind of sedatives and drugs that they would take the night before. And, and many, many times in his practice over a 20-year period, it would cause a premature birth in, in, in his patients. And there was a famous case in Philadelphia where a woman was on her way to the clinic and she was in the bathroom in McDonald's and she gave birth in the toilet and the baby was, was alive for a time in the toilet, like fighting for its life. And it made the national news that a, that a baby was, was found in the toilet in Walmart, or I'm sorry, in McDonald's and the the the... the, the 
clinic knew it was one of their patients, but they never admitted it, never said she was on her way, but she was actually on her way to this clinic. Well, he was also selling illegal drugs out of his clinic, um, narcotic drugs and writing prescriptions like hundreds and hundreds to all these faulty names and uh, a month. And the DEA and the FBI was investigating him on drug charges. And that's when they went into his clinic and they found um, just the most god-awful, disgusting um, thing you've ever can imagine in your life, the conditions, the the, the, the non-cleanliness, the, the disposal company wouldn't work with them anymore, and they were keeping – I mean, I just can't describe the, 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 the disgust. Well, anyways, long story to say that unfortunately um, – or fortunately, I guess, I don't know, but I watched the movie this week for the first time. And like I said, it came out a long time ago. Three, only three movie theaters in all the United States carried it when it first came out. And so it's now released on like Amazon Prime and, and some of the local – uh, uh, channels and so someone was telling me about it and I remember when it came out I remember being at the pastor's conference and they were they were advertising it and Dean Cain's testimony who made the movie was that he was he was pro-choice uh, before he got involved with this project and after seeing this case in this movie that, that he his opinion changed and um, so I, I don't know how to describe it because it's like it's so it is so – like how many of you guys seen The Passion of the Christ? You guys remember the first time you've seen The Passion of the Christ? Like, the, you know, and it's kind of different, but there's – like for my wife, for example. For me, I've seen The Passion of the Christ multiple times, and, you know, and, and I still I still can watch it and, and, and appreciate things about it as hard as it is. But my wife is like the first time she's seen The Passion of the Christ, she's like, that's it. You know, like I've seen it once. I, I'll never need to see it again, like, you know, and never again would, would have any desire to see it a second time. And that's kind of how this, this movie hits you, and it's like – but it is, it is so gut-wrenching. It, is, it, I, it took me like a day and a half to recover and, and just this deep. Like I was telling my brother about it, and he's like, yep, no, I mean, I don't know if I could do it. And I'm serious. It's, it's that like just completely gut-wrenching and, and painful and like just the sobbing and the, just this deep pain from the reality of, of what's taking place in the abortion industry. And, and, and just it, it's completely, completely demonic and satanic. And disgusting, and this movie just just takes an inside look of, of something that we we really have no idea of, of of what's how really bad it is, you know. And so, and then anyways, and and, and so what what happened, and, and really part of the the disgusting part of what's happening in New York is that um, they would have again they would have babies, and they had a baby that was like 29 weeks. If you've ever seen what a 29-week-old baby looks like, it's a huge baby. And it's, it looks, you know, it's a baby. Fully developed, completely, you know, lots of, you know. And so they, they had a case, and, and just by the grace of God, one of the coworkers, she said, because the baby was so big that, um, that she just felt like somebody needed to see him and, and, and see an impact that he had. At least he was here for a short time. And so um, she took a picture of this baby in the clinic, and, and, and then this picture made it into the courtroom. And it was one of the main deciding factors. But the baby was 29 weeks old. It was born alive. And he took a pair of scissors and he clipped the, he cut the back of the baby's neck. Um, and, and, and he had done that. And that was one of, one of, the, one of the, 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 the things he was convicted on is murder. But he had done that so many times, so many, so many, so many times over and over and over again. Besides hundreds or thousands, probably 30, 40, 50, 60,000, uh, 30,000 um legal abortions that he was also doing there, um, you know, on, a, on an annual basis. And, um, but now what, what New York did 
was n- never again, no matter how bad your practice is, they, they, and if, if the other states follow suit, they made it so that what, what Kermit Gosnell was convicted of murder on is now legal, and you can do that. And so not only is this new bill in New York say that up, up to um, um, full term, but also that if the baby is born alive, you can't resuscitate. You can not resuscitate. So, so if, if the baby then now is, is, is a full-term baby is murdered outside the womb, then um, it's totally legal now. So they, they, they added into it something that would protect every doctor who was in Kermit Gosnell's case. And, you know, it, the, the geography of where a baby is, right, is, it, it's crazy that, that, that the world somehow can justify and say that if the baby is so, – so to do it legally, the baby had to be terminated inside the womb. But if the baby is, is here, then it's murder. But if the baby's here, then it's okay. So even now around the world, we've, around the United States, they work very hard. And it's a, it's a big process to, to, to kill the baby inside the womb and then get the baby out. So what, what Kermit Gosnell was doing, because it was just much easier, was to have the women give birth to the baby and then just kill it on the outside, which made it illegal. But how, 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 right, how disgusting, how ironic, or not, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, just how asinine is it that it's, it's legal if it's here and it's illegal if it's here. It's murder if it's here. It's murder, it's murder. If, if, if a mother is driving, a pregnant woman is driving on her way to the, abortion clinic and a drunk driver hits her and kills her and her unborn baby he's he's charged with what double homicide but if the same woman makes it another block to the abortion clinic and the doctor kills the baby now now it's legal can't justify it and biblically right as you know as christians it's it's just we know that that you know, life is a conception, but you know, I don't know. Like, I didn't mean to depress us today, and I, I just have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not necessarily recommending that movie at all. And I will tell you that um, if you do decide to watch it, um, just be prepared. You know, it's, 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 it's not for the faint of heart. You know, and but it absolutely will rock your world. It, it'll absolutely make you pray. You know, it'll absolutely convince you of, of the, because even the reality, they did a, such a good job. They even, not even just the. Because this guy was a complete whack job. His, his, his clinic was completely disgusting and filthy and not cleaned and, and just cannot believe what went on. And they just ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. And no health code violations. The health department didn't even go in his clinic for 22 years. They had a woman die in the clinic from a botched abortion and, and the health department didn't go in. The same health department in the same jurisdiction had a, 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 a nail salon that was two doors down. And in that 22 years, they had been in that nail su- salon conducting um, health, health checks like 47 times, twice a year, some years three times a year, three doors down in the nail clinic. Had someone died in the nail clinic, you can bet their butt they would have been in there with these checking these. The, and, and never once, and why wouldn't they go in there? Because they were told not to. They were told it's, it's just you stay away from that stuff, and it's just you don't want to bring any attention to it, any negative attention to it, and it's 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 crazy, it's disgusting, and it's it's a sign of our times that we're living. You know, one of the things that happened in Old Testament practices was the 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 pagan gods that the that the um, that the Canaanites worshipped. One of them was a god called Baal, and and the worship of Baal. Um, one of the practices was the there was a fire built in the belly of 
of this, the statues would be whole and it would be designed like a fireplace. And uh, he would have outstretched arms in the statue. And, and when they'd build it, eventually the, the, the hands would become burning red hot. And one of the pagan practices was to place newborn babies in the hands of Baal and sacrifice their babies to Baal. And, you know, we look at these pagan practices of, of the pagans, the Canaanite cultures that um, existed in the, you know, in the times of the Old Testament. And, you know, we cringe, but it's it, it's nothing compared to what, you know, altars that we've, we've sacrificed our babies to in the name of whatever, God knows what success and life and you know, whatever the reasons or excuses that, that we've used and got away with murdering millions and millions of babies. I think the number is now over 60 million since Roe versus Wade. And in New York City, where this, this bill has just passed, New York is the, um, in the, in the Brooklyn, no, not Brooklyn, um, in the Queens, Jamaica uh, district of New York, uh, five zip codes, is the second highest um, abortion rate in the United States. More abortions are, porn, are performed in the Queens, um, Jamaica district of, 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 of New York than any other place in the United States. And this, and that number is only going to rise now because of this new laws and this new celebration. But I mean, to celebrate in the streets with, 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 with lights and celebration and jubilation about, about this law is just, there's no word for it. It's just evil. It's just absolutely evil. Um, there is an organization um, you guys can can look at it look it up if you want it's it's online um, and it's called the unborn baby and they're a Christian organization and they they're um, they're making a difference and and one of the things there's several ways that you know we can make a difference that are practical you know um, and one of them is they have their, their you know there, there's another ministry and I got to think of the name of it as well but um, what they do is they provide ultrasounds for um, patients of these clinics and they, 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 they get the girls to come and, and they have vans. Sometimes they're mobile. Some, one, the one that they're working on in um, Queens, Jamaica is actually, I think they have a, a building that they're, they're wanting to use and they're trying to raise 250000 in that particular district to um, do this ultrasound and counseling and, and provide um, services and they are saving lives. And when oftentimes what's what's been successful, um, it, and they do it in vans as well. They 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 you know we can we can donate to these causes where they, the money goes towards buying vans with ultrasound machines and equipments, and they they drive them and they park them in front of the places. And if they can invite the girls to come, and they'll, they'll give them an ultrasound and let them see the baby, see the heartbeat, see the size of the baby, and um, and, and and give them counseling and talk them into um, out of the the give them other options and the. They're, they're saving lives. And so unbornbaby, I think, dot com is, is one thing if you want to want to check that out or be involved or look into some of these um, ministries that are um, doing the vans. And obviously, you know, I just I just give you a caution of um, word of caution with anything. Right. You do like that where you want to vet where you're giving your money to and just make sure that I don't know if there's a way to check what their what their administrative fees. And there's always going to be some administrative fees. I'm not against that. You give your money here to the church and the church has some administrative fee. But. Um, you know, just be careful because some organizations they're like 96%. So you give a dollar and four cents actually goes to the the cause that you gave it for, and 96% goes to the organization that's that's doing the cause. So you always want to kind of vet and try to find places that have a very high number and a, lo- a lower administrative cost. So check that out on your way. So, all right, now you're thoroughly depressed. Yeah, let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and God, our, our hearts are broken, Lord. 
God, we repent as a people. Your word says that if, if we, your people, God, would humble ourselves and pray, God, and seek your face, that, God, you'd heal this land. And, Lord, I, I know that this land is, is beyond repair to some, to some degree. And, God, we have gone so, so far to the left and so far evil, God. And, Lord, the laws and the, and the, the things of, of this, these people, God, just blown us away, God, that they can actually celebrate and, and be in jubilation and light the city up over a law, God, that, that makes it legal to kill babies outside the womb until birth. And so, Father, we, we repent as a people, God. Lord, we ask for your mercy and grace, God. Lord, we do pray over, over New York City specifically and highest abortion rate in the nation, Lord, and just because of the population and the people that are there. And God, we pray for the individual people and women and families, Lord, and, and, and these men who are, who are forcing and, and encouraging the young ladies to get abortions. And, Lord, we pray, Father, that, um, Lord, just pour your spirit out upon that place, God. We pray, Father, for the, the organizations that are trying to do something practically about it, God, about giving the ladies ultrasounds and counseling and trying to encourage and, and giving alternatives. And, Lord, we, we, we just pray, God, for your mercy over us as a nation and for your forgiveness. And, God, that you would deal with these, these situations and these people. And, God, we pray for the um, unborn baby ministry and their 250000 they're trying to raise, God, to, to put a clinic in Queens, Jamaica. And, Lord, we, we pray that that would go up, God, and that, Father, you would, um, you would use that, God, to change lives and save lives, God. And, Father, that, that, that even the gospel would be shared and given. And, Lord, we, we pray for our own lives, God, and we pray, Jesus, that, God, you would, whatever part that we're supposed to do, and we know we can't solve the problems of the world, and we're not supposed to, and yet, Lord, we're, we're, we're supposed to do what you've called us to do, what you've placed on our hearts to do. And so, God, if there's something that we're supposed to be doing as a church, as an individual, as a people, God, that you would speak to us, that we would listen, we would be obedient, and, God, that we would step out in faith and, Lord, do whatever it is that you called us to do, because whatever you've called us to do, you're going to provide. And, Lord, whatever, whatever we have in our hands that we give to you, you'll give back, you'll multiply, you'll... You'll, you'll duplicate, and, and, Lord, that there'll be reward for that. And so, God, we just pray that, Lord, that, that again, as a nation, we, we, we repent as a people, and we ask your forgiveness for this nation and for this egregious and just terrible sin, God, that we know breaks your heart, Lord, and that you have to watch and that you're there in every room, God, with, with every situation, and you see it all over the world, Jesus. And we know it breaks your heart, God. And, Lord, we're sorry for that. We're sorry for your heart being broken by this sin, God. And, Father, we pray again that, that you would help us to be a light here in Tooele and share your love and your word, God, across this, this, this valley. And, Lord, what we can do is be faithful where you've planted us to continue to, to love people in this community and see lives changed. And, Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know the reality about um, changing somebody's mind from pro-choice to pro-life? You know, I've never once been a, um, able to, to intellectually argue with somebody um, about anything really in, in a lot of areas that, to change somebody's mind, especially in that area from somebody who's, who's pro-life. Um, but many, 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 many times what is very successful is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've seen many, many that were pro-life or pro-choice and um, they received Jesus in their life. They got saved in the power of God and then God changed their heart and God changed their mind. And so our power is the gospel. Our power is sharing the gospel and seeing lives changed and um, so we always want to be encouraged that in everything we do, we want to share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And that's our most effective, effective tool. You know, we don't ever want to get in, involved in, you know, it's not my personal style, too. And I don't ever judge anybody that's called to do it or, you know, that, that has that style. But 
you know, it's like a lot of, a lot of um, Christian ministries or they're out there and they, you know, they go stand in front of Planned Parenthood with bullhorns and signs and, you know, they, they yell at everybody when they're coming in and out and, um, you know, and I don't know, you can find it online and um, I don't know, you know, like I said, I'm not judging them. I just don't know how effective it is. You know, I mean, I guess it's more effective than what I'm doing. I'm not doing nothing, you know, and so you can't can't judge them that way. At least they're doing something. But, you know, I think I think to me what's effective is 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 trying to, you know, you share the gospel, you share the gospel, you share the gospel. Amen. All right. If you have your Bible, Second Samuel, chapter three, we left off in verse thirty one last week. It says, then David said to Joab. Where did I put my glasses, he said to Joab. And all the people were with him, and all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner, the king, and King David followed the coffin. Turn with me, if you will, real quick to Psalm 109. So in, in, um, in this place where we are, as you guys know, um, you guys remember our little acronym from last week? S-A-D-J, very good. So S-A stands for Saul and Abner, and D-J stands for David and Joab, because those were two of the, the, the rulers, the first and second king of Israel, and then both of their um, their generals, their main guys of their armies, of their war. And they, their names are used so, time, so many times that I always got them confused. I can never remember who was with who. Is Joab Abner's, is Joab David's guy, or is he, is he Jonathan, is he Saul's guy? Who does he belong to? And... So, um, so what happened was um, Abner came to David last week in our study, and Saul had just died, and Abner raised up a young man in um, in the northern part. The tribes of Israel were split in this in this season of of Israel's history between the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. So Saul, who who reigned in Israel, um, all in all the tribes. And then David, who, who just was crowned king in the southern two tribes of Judah, and Abner um, still had control in the north of ten tribes of Israel. And he had one of, jo- one of um, Saul's sons as a puppet kind of king, but he was ruling in the north. And the, um, Saul's son came to uh, Abner last week and accused him of going into one of his father's concubines. And Abner got all upset and he said, Oh, you know, I've been loyal to you, and fine, now I'm going to go turn the king over, kingdom over to David because God called him anyways. He confessed that he knew that David was the rightful king of Israel. And so Abner travels to the south, and he makes a plan with David to unite all the, all the 12 tribes of Israel under one king. Now, as we talked about last week, only a few times in Israel's history of the Old Testament were all 12 tribes united under one king. They were united under David and then again under his son uh, Solomon, and they were divided under David, and then united again um, under his son Solomon. And after Solomon, never again were all 12 tribes united as one kingdom in Israel. And the way that Israel's history went from that point forward was they would have a king in the north and a king in the south. They never one time in the 10 northern tribes of, of Israel had a good king. They always had wicked kings and rotten kings. The south had some some rotten kings, but they also had some good kings in the in the southern tribes. Now, again, this is all, all kind of reminder from last week. But when you hear the word Israel, 
Um, when you hear the word north, when you hear the word the ten tribes, it's always talking about that north. The term Israel is used for the ten northern tribes. Um, the southern tribes were called Judah, or the southern tribes, or, or, or Judah were, describes the two southern tribes. And when they split, that's usually where they split was between ten to the north, two to the south. I don't know why they didn't go like six and six, but they didn't. The two on the south got along, the ten in the north kind of grouped together. And so Abner comes down from the ten tribes to the north, and he meets with King David, and he says, I'm ready to unite all the 12 tribes under your rule and we'll serve you and we want to make a peace treaty. And David says, go in peace. Um, You know, we'll make this treaty, but you but we will not make it and you will not see my face again. He's going to you're going to go back to the north and you're going to come back so we can unite the tribes and make this thing official. But don't come back unless you bring. Anybody remember? Unless you bring my wife. Unless you bring Michael, Saul's daughter, who was promised to David and then given to another man when David and Saul um, were, were not getting along. And he says, don't, don't come back until you bring my wife, Michael, back. So Abner leaves and Joab comes back. He's David's general. And he says to David, why did you let our enemy go in peace? He's been our enemy. He's Saul's right-hand guy. We should have killed him. And David said, no, we let him go in peace. We're going to make a peace treaty with him, leave him alone. And so Joab chases down Abner. And he sends a message. He says, hold on, hold on, wait, come back. The king wants has one more thing he forgot to tell you. Come back. So they go and they find him. And Joab approaches Abner and he murders him. He, 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 the Bible he smote him under the fifth rib, which means in the heart. He put his, his, his spear, his, his, his knife in his heart. And he kills Joab. I'm sorry, kills Abner. Joab kills Abner. And now David here where we are, he's mourning for the death of Abner, the murder of Abner, who, who again was somewhat of an enemy to David, um, but David really just lived in a way that he, he, he operated in the sovereignty of God. He never killed um, Joab. He never physically, har- I mean, never physically harmed um, Saul. We know that we, we kind of went through this premise where David said, I'll not touch the, the anointed of the Lord. And so, you know, that was in a physical way. That was in a, in a harming way that he wasn't going to physically murder him or kill him. He was going to let God deal with him. And God did. And then one, the other thing is when, when you come to um, places in the in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, a lot of those deal with stories and touch back on David in different places. But it's always nice to 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 know and connect where where David was in his life when he wrote certain psalms. So David was in this place right there in chapter three and verse thirty one when he writes Psalm one hundred nine, and he's not very happy, and he writes this psalm about um, Joab. And he says, do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoke against me with lying tongue. They, they have also surrounded me with the words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they are, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and have hatred. Set a wicked man over him and let him... Let an accursed stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office and let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from the desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him. Nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Jeez, David's not messing around. Let his prosperity be cut off. 
and the generations follow, let their name be blotted out. So David is not very happy with Absalom and his, uh, I'm sorry, um, Joab and his murdering of, um, of Absalom. And so he's praying this prayer, and he's pretty thorough, right? Like David wants his children cut off. He, doesn't want, he wants his children to become fatherless. He doesn't want anybody to step up and have pity on him or his, his fatherless children. And, you know, David was somebody, you know, we tease because we say, you know, you, you, you don't really pray for your enemies because Jesus said to love your enemies. But David didn't exa- exactly set the example of how we're supposed to pray for our enemies. You know, another place with one of his enemies, he told God to break their teeth out and to crush their teeth. And um, so so here he, he's praying this or writing this psalm about his enemy. And um, he, some of that is quoted here in, in Samuel 31 as well, in chapter 3. And then um, he says in verse number... 32, so they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice, and he wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang lament over Abner and said, should Abner die as a fool dies, your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters as a man falls before your wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. And when the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God, do so to me more also if I taste bread or anything else until the sun goes down. So he, he proclaimed a fast until the sun goes down. That's something that you see um, in Jewish cultures to this day. It's, it's a style of fast. It's even a biblical style of fast because we have it recorded in the Bible. Um, and so I'll encourage you with that, um, that, you know, one of the ways, one of the styles of fasting is you fast from sunup to sundown. And so um, whenever I fast sunup to sundown, I make sure I do it like in January or February. When the sun goes down like at 4.30, I definitely wouldn't do it in August when the sun's going down like at 10 o'clock. So, um, but it's a good way to fast. It's a good way, especially if fasting is something that, you know, is new to you or foreign. I encourage you as a people, as a Christ followers, as Christians, to add fasting to your, to your spiritual walk, your spiritual life. You know, we talk about reading the Bible, praying, praise, worship, singing, praying, doing things to spend time with God. Uh, another discipline that's, that's really important in Christian living is fasting and adding that. Whether you, you know, and you can fast a lot of things. There's lots of ways to fast. Um, I'm not teaching fasting tonight, but I'd encourage you to, to, to look into it or to fast or to, you know, maybe you do once a month. Pick a day once a month and fast. You could do water-only fast. You could do juice-only juice, juice only fast. You could do fruits and vegetables. That's a Daniel fast. Daniel fasted for 21 days, and he ate only fruits and vegetables. Um, so that's, that's, that's another way to fast. And so the whole, the whole idea... Um, just in a quick nutshell, in the skinny of fasting, is you're denying your flesh something that feeds your spirit. So if you're not eating food and satisfying yourself with big meals, um, it, it creates a little bit of hunger pain. It creates a little bit of discomfort. And that makes you aware of the spiritual side. That makes you seek God. And you're denying yourself something of the flesh in order to feed your spirit. So when you deny your flesh, and especially with fasting, because you're, you're constantly thinking about eating and you're hungry and you get reminded about it. Every time you feel a hunger pain, every time you, you would have spent making a meal or eating a meal, you spend that time seeking God, um, spending time with the Lord. You know, if, if all you do is, let's say you're, you're, you want to fast and you don't eat, eat nothing for three days straight, water only, and you spend zero or no more time in prayer in the Word or seeking God than you normally do, at the end of three days, what do you, what do you, what do you, what are you? What do you get? Yeah, you're just hungry, right? You haven't gained anything. You haven't added anything to your life, your spiritual walk, but hunger pains. But if you take those three days and 
you know, if you did a three-day fast and you, you used all that time to seek God, you, you'll, you'll grow, you'll grow, you'll grow, you'll grow. It'll help you in your walk. And in verse 36, it says, now all the people took more note. But again, like I said, the whole thing was till the sun goes down was one of the ways you see that the Jewish people to this day, that's how the Jews fast. Um, one of the fasts they do is the sun up to sundown fast. Now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all of Israel understood that day, and it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, nor the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zariah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And so one of the things that the ten northern tribes actually appreciated is that David was... Um, broken about the death of Abner. They knew that David didn't call for the murder of Abner, that David wasn't in it. He wasn't vindictive. He wasn't that type. And when they saw David's heart that was, that was sincerely broken over the death of Abner, it helped, it helped kind of knit the northern ten tribes to their new king, to David in this season. And then um, in verse 4, chapter 4, it says, When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was troubled. Now the word all of Israel means what in this in this context it's talking about the north so that term in in when it's talking about the the tribes it's talking about the 10 northern tribes so all the northern tribes were troubled and now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops the name of one was Banna and the name of the other was Rechab the sons of Rimon the Berothite of the children of Benjamin for Beeroth also was part of Benjamin because the Beerothites fled to Gittim and have been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we're going to um, just remember that. You can highlight that, Mephibosheth. You'll hear me say that a lot in this study because Mephibosheth is going to come back around. And I'll just give you a spoiler alert. Um, David and Jonathan made a, a, a pact. And, and David and Jonathan were the best of friends in the world. They, 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 they loved each other. The Bible says their hearts were knit to each other. Um, and that there was a real love between David and Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. The former king was trying to kill David. But Jonathan and David were the best of friends. And Jonathan made a promise, made David promise to him that when he became king, that he would show kindness to the house of Saul and to the house of Jonathan. And so David, um, in the season coming up, he's going to remember that promise to Jonathan, and he's going to ask, is there anybody left in, in Saul's family, in Jonathan's family, that I can show kindness to? And they're going to find this young man, Mephibosheth, who was lame in his feet, who, who fled at the death of his father and his grandfather, Saul and Jonathan, and he became lame, and David's going to bring him into court and he's going to eat at the king's table continually. And then in verse 5 it says, Then the sons of Rimon, the Berethite, Rechab, and Banna, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. Does anybody know who Ishbosheth is? Nobody don't remember Ishbosheth from last week? I didn't uh, mention his name a minute ago because I forgot it too for a second. But Ishbosheth is the, was the puppet king. He's the son of Saul. He was the one that Abner had put up in place, and Abner was really kind of running the north, and then Ishbosheth was Saul's son, who was the king, or the, the puppet king of the north. Ishbosheth is the one who came to Abner and said, 
hey, what are you doing sleeping with my dad's concubines? And that's when Abner got upset and said, Ishbosheth, fine, then I'm going. I'm leaving. I'm going to David. I'm going to turn the kingdom over to him. Abner went down to the south, never made it back to the north because Joab killed him. And now the puppet king in the north, he's going to find his demise um, in this chapter. So where do we find him? In verse 5, the last part of verse 5, where do we find him? In his bed at noon. So I've heard pastors say, I wasn't sure if I was going to go there or not because I like my naps, man, that you shouldn't be in your bed at noon. <laughs> this is proof. You know, this is a sign. What are you doing? Are you lazy? And, you know, and the Bible definitely talks about us not being lazy and the, the you know, the sluggard and the sloth and, you know, definitely that that, that that the life and ministry is hard work. And God says for us as Christians to work hard so that people around us will respect us. And there's something about it, you know, about having a good work attitude and a good work ethic that's Christian and that's right. And so they make a case here that, um, you know, this guy was on his, he was a king and he was on his bed at noon and he had, you know, he had no business being on his bed sleeping at noon. But, you know, I like my noon nap every once in a while, you know, so it's okay to take a nap, right? So, but that's because I've been up since like four in the morning. I ran two, three miles. I prayed, crawled on my knees, you know, fasted, read my Bible for like six hours before, before noon. And then at noon, I'm ready for a little nap. It says then, then in verse five, I'm just kidding, by the way, I don't do any of that. Then the son of Rimon, the Berethite, the Rechab, Ben, set out and came out about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, and he was lying on his bed at noon. And there came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach, and then Rechab and Benah, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, and then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David of Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of, of your enemy, Saul, who sought your life, and the Lord has avenged my lord, the king this day, of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Benah, his brother, the sons of Rimmon, the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity? When someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own bed. Therefore, I shall now require his blood on your hands and remove you from the earth. So David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. So not so good uh, day for Saul's family, for his general. And so these two guys are in the north, and they think they're going to make points with King David, the new king of the south, that if they kill Ishbosheth, that they're going to go and David's going to give him a reward. So they sneak in his house. They find him sleeping at noon. They put a spear through, his, through him and his bed into the floor, and then they cut his head off, and they bring it to King David thinking like, how David, you know, as a banner, you remember when David killed Goliath, he carried Goliath's head around for a couple of days, you know, a proud little banner. They bring the head of Ishbosheth, expecting that David's going to reward them. And David says, you fools, you know, you should have known that even when, when Saul died, the young man who came in and brought me the news of Saul thinking I would reward him, and I killed him for claiming that he killed Saul, how much more are you guys going to die? And he kills them. And then chapter 5 says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. 
Also in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and rule over Israel. Turn to John 21 real quick. John 21, verse 18. I think it's in 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish, but you are old and stretch out your hand and you will gird yourself and carry you where you will not wish. And then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And then Peter, turning, saw the disciples, James, loved and followed and leaned on him. Peter said to him, Jesus, I'm going to fast. Jesus said to him, I will let you remain. Follow me. And the saying among the brethren, disciples would not die yet. Jesus said, say to him that I would not die if I will. The disciples testified and Jesus, so many other written. Actually, I passed it. That was a problem. So just, just I, I guess the reference is, I, I have the wrong one, but it says, so when they were eaten and breaking fast, Simon Jonah said, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon Jonah, do you know that you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. And the you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So you can go back to Second Samuel chapter 5, um, that David was to be a shepherd over my people Israel. And so um, God, God's heart is always of love. And God's heart for us as, as his people is to have the heart of a shepherd, to be the heart of a shepherd. Actually, the, the word in the, in the Bible that um, is for minister or pastor or leader, it, it's the word shepherd. And it's the word servant as well. It carries the same connotation. But a shepherd is somebody who, who watches the flock. And it's what God told Peter to be, to feed his sheep, to, 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 um, to give them the word of God, to love them, to shepherd them. And so, you know, again, having the heart of a shepherd. And David was the consummate shepherd. David wrote Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And so that, that heart of a shepherd. And, and, and really, you know, again, as we've talked about many, many times that David was, was a man that had some egregious sins in his life and yet goes down in history as a man after God's own heart because this heart of a shepherd that David had. And he loved God's people and he shepherded them, and the, and the people, again, they recognized them. And there was a call of God, really, on his life, that you'll, you shall shepherd my people Israel. And, and it was God's heart, really, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, to be a shepherd over his people. And then in verse 3, it says, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David king over Israel. So it's the third time that David was anointed as the king of Israel and um, the final time that he'll be anointed as the king, an official time, and he now is king over the united um, kingdoms of Israel. The kingdoms are um, again united and will be for a season before uh, one of his sons rebels and causes more division. And it says David was 30 years old when when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years. How old was Jesus when his earthly ministry began? 30 years old. And in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years all over all of Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against 
the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. The city of David is still there to this day. It kind of sits on the corner of the old city of Jerusalem on the, um, on the, you know, around where the Temple Mount is, on the southern steps of it in that area. And so David went on and became great. I'm sorry. In verse 8, Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And then David dwelt in the stronghold and called the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. And so um, really quickly, you know, this verse is a little hard to, to digest, right, to understand. It says that David hated the lame and the blind. That, that's not necessarily a direct quote about David hating crippled people and blind people. It, it's they, It was the quote. It was the idea that, you know, they were mocking David and saying that the crippled and the blind will keep you out of here. You know, you won't even be able to come in and we don't even have to put our soldiers against you. We'll do it with a cripple and the blind. And it was, you know, David obviously didn't hate crippled and blind people. He, he's going to bring Mephibosheth into his kingdom and love him as a son who was crippled in his feet. And so, you know, don't misread that or understand that like like David had some angst. And again, you couldn't have a, be a man after God's own heart and hate anybody like that. So, um, and then it says um, in verse 10, So David went on and became great, and the, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So again, you know, the verse 10, I have it highlighted in my Bible because, you know, David became great. And the idea of, of greatness is, is, it's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, we want to, we want to check ourselves, but, um, but at the same time, it's okay to want to do great things for the Lord, to want to serve the Lord in a great way. And David, by the testimony of the Holy Spirit became great. But what was the key to, to David's greatness in verse 10? There's a key there. And it's the same key for every one of us. What, was the, what, happened, what else happened in verse 10 in David's greatness? The Lord was with him. It was a presence of God in his life. You know, and again, that's a sermon that I've preached a, a, a enough that, that, that the, the, you know, it's not the only thing. It's not the most important thing. It's way more than all that. You can't even put emphasis on the presence of God in your life and my life. The presence of God is the everything. It's the only thing. It's the, it, it's the most important thing that in all that we do and all that we are and all that we have, and any success in any life, it's the presence of God with us. You know, one of the things that we fight against, one of the things that we, we, we struggle with as people that Paul struggled with, you know, is, is that very thing, that, that the presence of God over every part of our lives. And sometimes, so many times we're running and we're hiding from the presence of God and the will of God. But really, in any greatness, in any, any victory, it's the presence of God in your life. It is the absolute everything. In verse 11, it says, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. It's in the same palace. It's in the same house. It's there today. Some of the remnants of the of the uh, house of David that was built here in verse 11. When we're in Israel, we'll see it. It's cool. They built a boardwalk over the top of it with glass in the floors. You can look down. You can see parts. You can go under there, and 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 you can see that where where some of these. Uh, we, we know where the city of David is, where the actual house is, where this place is. Um, the, the area of, of the Temple Mount where, where David built his city and his house in Jerusalem, there's more detail. I, I didn't go into it tonight, but 
um, where it says that the Jebusites were there and, and they, David said, whoever goes into the city and claims it will catch it in another place. We'll wait till we get there to find to go through it in detail. But David's men go in. They eventually capture this area of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. So it was under Jebusite control. And this is the place where David builds his house um, and, and he builds it up. And then right looking off of David's house, you know, the other cool thing is when, when you come to David's house, Jackie, do you remember when um, we were up on the balcony where we watched the movie? Um, the rest of them went on down through the tunnel and we stayed and we hung out in that area. That's the area of King David's house. And then when you go up on those stairs above the movie theater and you look off across the, the Mount of Olives, so you're looking down the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives on the other side, well, all to the right here is, is a Muslim quarters and uh, Muslim housing and, and Muslim control. And, um, and there's, there's minarets there. They're, they're calling the, the five times a day. The minarets are going off of the Muslim call to prayer. And then on the same side where David's house is, again, another valley full of houses and things. And when you stand in that area, it makes so much sense how, you, how David, you, you can just see. And one of the things about going to Israel, the Bible starts to come to life in some ways because you, you think David, you know, he was standing on his balcony and he looked out his balcony and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And you're like, I've been on my roof a couple times and I've never looked out and seen someone taking a bath. How's that work? You know, but when you stand there on David's palace in his place where he would have been, you can see the house, the, the backyards and the housetops and the way the, you know, the mountain comes down this way and then up the other side. And you can see everything you, you very easily could have seen. You know, um, Bathsheba, who was also on her rooftop, taking a bath. Um, here's everything that's funny, that Bathsheba was taking a bath when David saw her. And, um, but it's all right there. You can see it all. You can see in David's palace. And um, so it was there where he built his, um, his house. And then you'll remember also in the story, we'll get to it very soon, David was in his house, and he was looking out the window, and he saw something that got his attention. Do you remember what that was? The tabernacle that Moses built. Where the, where the presence of God was, where the Holy of Holies was, that tent that followed the children of Israel around for 40 years and they would erect it and, and you know, it was there still in Israel, in their control and, it, and they set it up outside of David's palace and David one day was looking out his window and he saw that tent and he said, man, now I live in a palace and God is living in a tent and he went and got the prophet Nathan and he said, I want to build the Lord a house. And remember what Nathan said? He said, oh, king, go do all that's in your heart. Then he had to go back and tell him he couldn't do it. But that's from the same same place. And then um, in verse 11, it says, Then Hiram king sent Tyre a message and cedar, and they built him a house. And in verse 11, So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and they had exalted his kingdom for the sake of all his people Israel. And, and, and David took more concubines and wives uh-oh, from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. And now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab. You guys looking for names for your sons? Your daughters? Shemua, Shobab. This next one's pretty good. Nathan, Solomon. Solomon was born to him um, from Bathsheba. So we don't get the story. We just get the name of Solomon. Um, but we'll get the story here coming up. Ibahar, Elishu, Nephig, Japhia, Elishama, Elida, Eliphelet. Yep. Those are good biblical names if you're looking for something. 
And it says in verse 17, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, and the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord. I always have that underlined in my Bible highlighted. David inquired of the Lord. It was one of David's strengths. It was one of the things that we learn from the life of David and the men and the women that God uses. This is one of the qualities of the men and women that God uses and is that David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up? And he asked very plain questions, yes or no answers, things of God. God, God, um, I think he blesses. I believe he answers the same prayer in your life. Ask God yes or no questions. Ask God what you should do. Ask God about every part of your life. And David inquired of the Lord, and he said, shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Baal Perizim. And they left their images there. And David and his men carried them away. And then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Riphium. And therefore, David inquired of the Lord. And he said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in the front of the mulberry trees. So, you know, what, what's so cool in verse 23 is that the conventional wisdom is that David already inquired of the Lord. He already had a victory over the Philistines in a certain way. It would have been very easy, and we see this mistake made in other places in the Bible, for David to assume that this second time he already had God's blessing, he already had God's will, and then he would just go down and attack the Philistines in the same way and do it the same way that God provided and did it the last time. But thankfully, David didn't assume anything, and, and he stopped. And how, I mean, how much time of David's life, and maybe it was, maybe in inquiring of the Lord, there was more to it than, than what it would be like for you and I just to pause and say a quick prayer. You know, oftentimes they would call for the priest, they would make sacrifices. And so maybe in this, which I don't know, but maybe in this inquiring of the Lord, there was a little bit of effort. But regardless of how much or how little effort it took for David to inquire the Lord, the wisdom... That, that he went back, he didn't make assumptions, and he inquired of the Lord a second time, over, even over an area that he already had an answer to and something that should have been simple. And God says, no, don't go up. What? Are you sure I just heard that right? Yeah, 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 don't go up. So good thing David asked because he would have made a huge mistake because the Lord said, no, don't go up. And, and don't go up the way you went up last time. This time I want you to circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And so it was a different strategy that God gave him for success. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching of the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. So we'll stop there tonight. But before you close your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, real quick to... um, Proverbs chapter 3, give you a quick life verse, and then one more verse, and we'll do them both quick. The other one will be in John chapter 5. But in Proverbs chapter 3, this is a life verse really for all of us as believers, but um, it it goes with this verse 23 that David inquired of the Lord in a different way. But in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 5, 4, and verse 5 and 6, I was like, that is not the verse because I'm not even in Proverbs. I'm in the Psalms. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs. I told you guys my Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 story, right? When I first became a Christian, I was asking my, my pastor for some direction and some insight. And he said, go home and read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is the verse he wanted me to read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. And that's the wisdom that David used in acknowledging God in all the ways. You lean not on your own understanding. None of it made sense the way that God wanted them to take this battle. But um, it's a life verse for all of us. My pastor told me, go home and read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So I went home and I read Proverbs chapter 3. I skipped chapter 4 and I read chapter 5 and chapter 6 because he told me to read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So I read chapter 3, 5, and 6 and I couldn't understand what he was trying to tell me. I'm like, three chapters of Proverbs? That was good, but I have no idea what his answer was to what I was telling him. Hey, real quick, and then we'll close with this just real quick. In John chapter um, 5, this is just um, something I usually start with, but I, I, I know everybody's ready to be done but just brief with me real quick oh well i know it oh verse 39 there it is it says you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify me i think i shared that on sunday but that's been a i don't know it's just been a big verse for me right now but um Again, as we study the Old Testament and as we go through these things, you know, everything that, that the Bible does, everything that we are, it's about Jesus. You know, in every story, like, okay, the, the death of Mephibosheth, you know, or Mephibosheth who died on his bed at noon. It's, it's not necessarily, it's not what it's saying that that's Jesus or that's a type of Jesus, example of Jesus, or that Jesus is that story. But, but everything in the Bible and everything that we study and every part of it has, it, it, it has a connection to Jesus. It goes back to Jesus. Jesus is the word. And in, in the scriptures, we search them because we think that we have life. But Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, but actually the, it's in them that they speak of me, Jesus said. In them, they're about me. And again, as we study the word, as we, as we do life, it's about Jesus. The word's about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus, growing in Jesus. The book is not, it's not a book of morals and how to be better people and do life better and, you know, be a better part of me. It's about getting closer to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, that um, in the scriptures, Lord, the Pharisees made a mistake because it, that you said that it, they searched the scriptures because they think in the, in the scriptures they have life. But it's the scriptures that speak of you. And Jesus, we never want to make that error. And as we study these stories, these pictures, it's about Jesus. It's about a reminder that Jesus is a God that loves us and cares for us. And Lord, help us to always find Jesus in the story. Lord, help us to remain a people that, that see in every part and every story that we study that, that Jesus is the hero. And it's not about us. And Lord, it's, it's about Jesus. And, and God, that Jesus, you continue to be our hero, continue to be our Savior, Lord. And God, we love you and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.